Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world, welcome to another fascinating, Ooh. interesting, it's exciting, intrepid, okay, build it as you go oh. episode of FNO InsureTech. I am here with the one, the only, the smart one, Lee yeah. Boyd. Hi. Hi, Lee. Hi, Rob. I don't and know about I that, am but Rob I'll take Beller. it. I'm Rob Beller because I like to say my whole name, unlike Lee, who just likes to say Lee. I say Lee, but everyone calls me Lee Boyd. It my mom tr- calls me Lee Boyd. <laughs> Why do you suppose that is? I think she doesn't you, want to confuse you with the other I think, Lees she I knows? think it's the, the simple, uh, you know, just two syllables and Lee Boyd, Lee Boyd. So whenever my it, kid told me it, to, Lee Boyd. It kind of runs together. It does. Mm-hmm. But you have four names. I do. I have four names. What are they? Lee, Michael, Edward, Boyd. Why do you have three? I have uh, two middle names. Why, why is that? Because whenever I was two, um, my brother, I, I only started with one. I started with Lee Michael Boyd. Michael was named after a soap opera star, evidently. And my brother was Dustin Brian Boyd, named after my dad, and uh, he would walk around the house saying, I'm Brian Boyd third or whatever. And my mom felt bad for me. So she named me Edward, gave me Edward after my both my grandparents and had it legally changed when I was two. So, wow. So she yeah. gave me an extra name to make you feel better, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I gave my kids, I might have told this on here, I gave, I gave my boys two middle names. And I went to vote one time after Price, my oldest, was born. And I was checking in to vote. And the nice little lady said, what's your name? And I said, it's Lee Michael Edwards. She goes, why do you have four names? I said, oh, I you know, I just have four names. And I guess what? I gave my, my kid, I gave him two middle names. And she got so mad at me. She said, you're an awful father for doing that. Uh, he will regret that the rest of his life. I was a school teacher. How dare you do that? I still remember that. It was an awful time. I don't even think I voted. I think I left. She was so mad. I don't know why I go down that rabbit. Wow. Thank you, oh. everybody, for joining us for an episode of As the World Turns. <laughs> this is therapy day. This is therapy day. <laughs> this is soap opera day on mm-hmm. FNO and Shirtown. Which I was named after a soap opera star. So it's all kind of making sense now. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all coming together. As the world turns. Okay. Can we talk about our guest? I mean, I think we should. I'm happy to I do therapy. My wife is a therapist, so I mean, I kind of well, you know, you, you need that, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. there's no question. I need to be institutionalized. But we need that sometimes. Me and you both ought to have it together. That's true. That's true. We try to give each other therapy. It doesn't do. It doesn't go well. No, it doesn't. But why don't we talk about our wonderful, exciting, awesome podcast that we're going to have today? Uh, I'd love to do that. Okay. So I have a question for you. Have you ever built something? You've maybe seen the picture of it or seen an idea in your mind, but then you have to start building it and there's nothing there and you have to build it entirely from scratch. Only with like Lincoln logs. 
That's a good example. Yeah, Lincoln Logs or Legos. Big box of Lincoln Logs strewn about, and you know mm-hmm. you want to build a three-story Lincoln house. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Why do you no bring instructions. that up? Yeah. Why? Why are we talking about that? Our guest today has been tasked with doing just that. That's a big job. We have Charlie Wenlin, who is the head of claims for Branch Insurance. Yeah. Charlie is a fascinating guy. We are going to have a great conversation. And he really uh, is tasked with building the internal claims team at Branch. Uh, Branch got kicked off back in 2019. He's had to build uh, this internal team through COVID, through the remote workforce, in times of uh, of unrest, right? And and he's going to talk about it. And he's going to talk about all the things that he's done. And I'm excited about that. So without further ado, Lee and I are going to shut up. Yeah, about time. <laughs> Much to everybody's delight. Yeah. And get to our interview with Charlie Wendland, head of claims from Branch Insurance. Hey, everybody. We are here with... At long last, at long right. last, um, yes. our special guest, our, our, our special guest, Charlie Wendland, who is the head of claims at Branch. And for those of you who are lovers of all things InsureTech, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say Branch. Welcome to our podcast, Charlie. Welcome, Charlie. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. And thanks, Lee, for having me. Excited to finally talk to you guys. Yeah, we're excited. What our audience doesn't know is that we've had an entire podcast already. <laughs> Roughly 30 minutes. <laughs> we've just been going on and on, and Charlie's very hospitable, and we're talking about it, all things InsureTech. It's been really enjoyable. I'm sorry we can't play that back for you, but we'll do our best to replicate uh, where we've been. So, Charlie, how long have you been with Branch? How old is Branch? Yeah, Branch is, I think, probably about four years old. I say probably because, you know, it depends on which co-founder you're asking. Um, but I think it, it got started around 2017, 2018. However, we didn't go live until 2019. July 11th, 2019 is when we sold our first policy. And so I started in June 2019. So before we were live in any states, before we sold our first policy, when there were five of us. Uh, we are now uh, over 400 strong wow. uh, and growing. Wow. wow. That's adding a lot fast. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a great challenge, you know, scaling an organization and then also scaling the claims organization. It's been a wild ride and we've enjoyed every minute. Lee was saying that he noticed on your website that you guys have a l- list as long as my arm of open positions. We do. Yeah. You know, on the claim side, so I'll mention we were five, you know, in 2019, I came in to lead the claims organization, but a large part of my job when I started was just to manage the TPA and vendor relationships, Mm -hmm. making sure we're achieving optimal outcomes, even though we're working through a TPA. And the reason why we had partnered with the TPA at the beginning was we had limited capital. We felt like what we had, we should put toward growing the business. It's absolutely the right decision, but we knew that wasn't the long term. And so now we're scaling up the claims organization rapidly. And so that body of work started at the end of last year, where we built the infrastructure for our internal department. And now we're hiring a lot of people. And there is significant strategy around it when we think about customer facing positions, and then all the positions that would support those 
uh, to build out a best-in-class claims organization. For those of you who know the CEO of Branch, I know there's a co-founder as well, know that Steve Steve Leckis is the CEO and one of the smarter guys in the insurance business, uh, super passionate about it, not just from a business standpoint, but he's an honest-to-God insurance guy, right? He, he kind of loves insurance. Is that fair to say? Yeah, he well, and he's a nerd. He, 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 he is an insurance historian. There isn't there isn't a book that he hasn't read about insurance. You know, he seeks it out and he has a strong passion for it. And and we all are the beneficiaries of that passion. And it's you know it's contagious too. You know, we have we use Slack as a method of communication. We have a channel in there where uh, it is just dedicated to Steve putting in various parts of insurance history. And they're oh, wow. always interesting. Um, and they're always probably a book he's read that he's condensed down to several sentences. But yeah, he is very much an insurance historian. So we, we want to talk, uh, and, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We want to talk all about building and growing a, a claim department from starting with five people 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Um, but why don't you start by just telling us and telling our audience, what is Branch? What do you guys do? What do you sell? Sure. So we are a personal lines insurer. Um, and our unique selling proposition is that we you can bundle your home and auto with us with just your name and address. And then if they wanted to, they could bundle in less than a minute with us. And now, obviously, we give our customers the ability to customize their insurance however they'd like. Um, but it is we are selling home and auto bundled online and also through uh, other channels as well with different uh, partners um, embedded in their flows and through independent agents as well. So why is it you only ask a few questions when the other insurance companies are having asked so much? What are you doing that's different? What we're doing different is we're building the same profile. We're just not asking the user to enter in that data. You know, we figured why you already if, have it. If we have access to it, why don't we just build that? Why not okay. take the burden off of the, the the customer? If we have access to it, we know how to get it. Why not just assemble the same profile, make it a, a much more like as I said earlier, frictionless experience. And, and that's one of the things. There are many carriers today in the insure tech segment, right? And I, I feel that many of them, I'm not, and I'm not disparaging, but some of them aren't really in, very techy or very tech forward or very tech built in, but you guys are more so. It, it, do, do you agree with that? That your leverage of technology is significant? Yes, it's absolutely significant. And that's, you know, that was the vision of, well, look, both of our co-founders, our other co-founders, Joe Emerson, who has a great experience in technology, also serves as our CTO. But yeah, we use a ton of tech in that process of acquiring customers. And, you know, that's the, you know, the task that we have on the claim side is, okay, frictionless experience, name and address to acquire insurance. Our customers are probably expecting a similar experience on the back end. Right. So, so we are smart about how we're deploying tech uh, during our, our claims process, you know, so it still has the feel of, hey, we're we're your best friend on your worst day. Um, yeah. We're not just handing you off exclusively to, you know, uh, the technology to adjust your claim. That's not something we're going to do. So let's talk a little bit about the claim side itself. I first want to ask about building out all this technology and building out this claim department. 
during COVID, right? In 2019, you, you get started. Then 2020 comes, the whole world stops. Talk to me a little bit about that. What was that like? I don't want to say we were built for this because I don't know that anyone was prepared for, for the pandemic, right? But we are natively remote, which is to say everyone works from home for the most part. We have, we have a, an office in, in Columbus and, and one in Chicago, um, but for the most part, everyone is remote. And so we leveraged Zoom and, as I said earlier, Slack and other methods of communication to stay in touch with each other and to be really, really transparent with our departments as we grew not only a claims organization, but a company, right? I mean, when 2019, we were growing a company. We we didn't have claims, right? We were trying to get policies to have claims. Mm. And so it was really important that we kept in touch. And so, um, you know, there were a lot of different, uh, as I said, Zooms and Slacks that allowed us to, to stay in close contact with each other. Was it difficult to find people to come on board? You know, I know a lot of people were leaving their jobs at that time. They were looking for, and still are, but they're looking for new things. Was there a, a big group out there for you to pick from or was it difficult? This is going to sound weird because I know there's a lot going on in the industry right now about the war for talent, but it's gotten easier for a few things. One is we place a high emphasis on culture. I mean, Great. we are just intensely focused on having the best company culture. We wanted to build a company we always wanted to work at. And so all that time we've invested in our culture and in our roots, our core values has played out in a really meaningful way where now we have an almost a, a five-star glass door review. We've won awards for best workplace. Um, and so that means a lot to the talent market. And so as you're scaling fast, I can't tell you, like, I'm in multiple interviews a day and I ask everyone, hey, why are you looking to leave where you're at and come over to branch? And almost every single one says, oh, I saw your glass door reviews. It looks like a great place to work in addition wow. to about the job and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, early on, uh, we built branch kind of like based on our network of who we knew and who we could, you know, bring in. Um, but I, from my perspective, it, it's gotten a lot easier over time because what we've been able to build and playing, placing that high emphasis on culture. So right there, I need to ask, what are some uh, recommendations you might have to building a good culture being remote, right? There's a lot of companies out there. Many of them are still remote because of COVID and, and many people don't want to come back to the office and people are struggling to build that culture. What, what do you recommend? I can tell you there are still some things that I personally struggle with. I think, and you know, we have conversations about this internally. I think we could do be doing a better job about recreating that informal collaboration you have with being in the office with someone, especially as you hire newer people. Um, you know, I remember starting off my career and leaning over my cue ball to the guy ne next to me to ask a question I've already asked my supervisor five times because I didn't want to do that again. Exactly. So how do you recreate that, right? How do you recreate, hey, uh, I see someone near the vending machine and hey, that was an interesting thing you said in that meeting. Let's go get lunch and talk more about that. Like that, yeah. I, I, I feel like that's not happening. But to answer your question very specifically, the recommendation that I would have that is working for us is to be very, very deliberate about just setting up that one-on-one -on -one time. What that means is you have a lot more formal meetings but I bet if you did any kind of time analysis to where you were having those informal meetings that just kind of happened, the amount of time you're spending in formal meetings that you're seeking out people to, to stay in contact, it's probably the same. Yeah. 
I think that's so important. You know, every day I think about the culture and I think about, you know, how how do I make the decision to make contact with people and to connect with them? And it's hard. It is. It's hard, especially because so many companies are used to being in person. And I think that the branch is lucky in the case that you started remote, right? And so you're able to build. Now, many people came from from in-person jobs to branch, but your core your core started being remote. We started remote, which means our infrastructure was all remote. But what mm-hmm. wasn't native to that was everyone came from working for within an office for the most part. So yeah. it, you know, it's it's kind of that change management with helping people understand like what is the proper way to operate within a natively remote environment what's the best way to stay connected how should you use these tools that's kind of a book that you're writing as you go right i mean cuz now we're in a whole different phase you started and and you wanted to be a remote company and then there was covid which certainly facilitated that but now we're coming out of covid and we kind of, I kind of find that there's a lot of pressure in the world to kind of go back to the office. People miss some of that stuff. Talk about continuing to write that book. Yeah, so that the book evolves, right? And it should continue to evolve. You shouldn't just say, well, this is the way we do things and that's the way it's going to be forever. And so you're right. Um, I have found myself going into the office a lot more because I just like being around uh, other people that are not my, my wife or my children, although I enjoy their company. <laughs> of course, um, of we course. got a lot of really important things. Chances are they won't listen to this, Charlie. So no, uh, they probably want me I'm, I'm getting on that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm getting in the office a lot more and uh, I, I see more and more people getting in the office, but it's, it's not that we have mandated them. Mm-hmm. They want to be in the office. And I think a lot of that speaks to our culture and also just that the human desire to be in contact with each other more than just talking to a computer screen. Do you find that you're more likely to get people applying from Columbus or are they everywhere? We think that there is benefit to co-locating employees, which isn't to say they need to work in an office, but just means that they should kind of be around each other. Um, you know, so quarterly, we, we have hubs and we have a hub leader and we try to uh, have events where, you know, we, we refer to our employees as branchers, uh, where they can get together and just do a happy hour or do some kind of fun activity. But that is enabled because of their proximity. So we're trying our best to hire within hubs. We also understand, and this is no more true than it is in claims, there's going to be some technical expertise that we need that needs to go outside of the hubs. And so where we can find talent, you will generally look to hire. Right, right. So let's talk about building a claim department. Yeah. Have you ever done that before? No, this is my first time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I bet you can look back and say, boy, I wish I would have known then what I know now. You know, I was fortunate in that I came from really great claims operations. um, And I also had a really supportive team um, that helped me think about things in a bunch of different ways. So even though I was the head of claims and really, you know, I would make the same dad joke all the time for the first two years, which is, you know, vendors would call me and they say, hey, how big is your claims operation? I'd say, well, about six foot two. Um, (laughs) Right. You know, it was only me. Um, But I had a really, even though it was only me and claims for the title, I had a really supportive team uh, that would help me think through things about how we should build. And so we did it. And uh, we launched auto claims. We just recently launched our homeowners claims inside and it's working. And the the team seems very happy. They seem very efficient. Um, And so now we're scaling. 
And so it's really exciting. You know, it is, there was a lot of anxiety leading up to it. It was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of me relying on internal and external networks. And I'm not going to say that it was, it, it's perfect by any means, because it's not. I mean, look, it's, the claims operation is a startup right now. We're scaling up fast. But, you know, it, was, uh, it wasn't done alone. It wasn't just me. I had a lot of support from the team. So I have to ask you, if there's, if there's one thing that you could think of today and you say to yourself, I wish I would have known then what I know now when we started. Like I'm interested in, if I know Steve, you guys had a plan, right? There was a plan for how it was going to happen and when it was going to happen and how it was going to roll out. Right. And, but there was probably also the acknowledgement that, you know, the plan is the plan. It's not necessarily what is going to happen and we have to be flexible. Of course. Talk about putting a plan together and then executing against it. One of our roots, it's called the play. And then another one of our roots is what's the V1? So what's the first version? And so those kind of work hand in hand. Um, and so what, what the, the V1, the first version, allows you to do by being a root of the company is to put out a product that is probably not perfect, but you have the confidence in knowing that you're going to iterate quickly once it's in market. But in order to do that, you got to call the play. You, it, you know, it's, it's a route that is rooted, no pun intended, in action. Like you got to get something done. And so the way we thought about calling the play to bring claims in-house, to build the claims operation, is really like creating itemized lists, uh, relying on our experience of the different functions of a claims department, from compliance to legal to support to auto claims to property claims to estimating, like every possible thing you can think of, first notice of loss. Um, and then how we're going to do that. Who are we going to use? When does it need to be done by? And when is it going to be ready to go? And then we had everything time bound and we had to achieve those. Because if we didn't, we would be delayed in, in our launch. Right, right. So you had benchmarks. We did. Yeah, we that did. you were looking for. And how's that going? We were delayed by one week for auto, which is a huge wow. victory. Which That's is a huge victory. Yeah. I mean, we look, we stood up our auto department in three months, but there was a ton of work that that went in ahead of that. You know, getting our claim system implemented, getting it integrated with our policy admin system, getting our first notice of loss stood up, making sure all these things are speaking to each other. And again, uh, the team came together in a big way to make sure that that happened without a hitch. And so, you know, obviously I'm joking when I say we were delayed a week, but that's a, that's a huge win because if one of those things broke, it would have been like months delayed. I, I bet this has given you a lot of empathy for other claims leaders out there and just what it takes. And I, I mean, I... So our audience is an insure tech audience. They understand insurance, but a lot of them don't necessarily work on the claims side. And claims orgs are typically pretty big and pretty complicated. And there's a lot going on and it's very expensive. And I, I mean, I'm sure that you think about the other people who in the places that you've worked and, and thought, oh my God, this is way harder than it looks. Of course. Well, you know, you go from what 20 years ago being an individual contributor, just worrying about yourself to now worrying about absolutely everything um, on everyone's plate. And um, and yeah, I mean, do I have empathy? Of course. This job has been uniquely challenging, but just so fulfilling. And this is part of the reason that I, I 
I came over to Branch is the opportunity to build this. You know, it was a challenge that I wasn't going to have probably in my career ever again. And so I had to jump at, on it for sure. Earlier, we talked about building the the claims department and putting technology first, that your, your insurers are going to expect the same simple process like they had when they were underwriting on the claim side. So what are you doing to make it simple? What are you doing to bring technology into the claim side? It's a, it's a delicate balance of, uh, as I said earlier, replicating that frictionless experience on the front end. And then also our brand, which is, you know, we want to restore insurance back to its original intent, which is a, a force of communal good. You know, farmers banding their money together in the event someone's, you know, barn yep. burns down. Yep. Um, you know, and so that one of our, our slogans is getting back to getting each other's back. So we want our customers to really feel that at the point of claim, right? There's no better time to do it. And so what that told us is that it could not be a purely digital interaction. There still needs to be some significant human touch. And so the way we thought about, you know, building those processes is we started from the customer experience and we relied on a lot of research about insure tech and customer experience. And what that led us to is that the best use of technology would be internally, which is to say, reduce administrative burden of our adjusters so they can spend more time with customer care or on really complex situations. And so that's how we've used our tech. You know, we have, we do a, a significant amount of virtual estimating, you know, where we send the SMS to the user and then they're taking photos and uploading for both home and auto. And we're going to continue to do that, but only if they want it. Not everyone's going to be comfortable with that. Right. Um, and so we also need to make sure that, you know, we are placing a high emphasis on customer care and that's not something we can lose sight of. So the tech is to reduce adjuster administrative burden and allow us to be a really lean organization. I think it's really interesting that you're an insure tech. So there's an expectation about technology involved in the company. And, but you're probably, you're on the front line of discovering what a hard challenge that is. Yeah. Because when it comes to insurance claims, the technology is getting has gotten much better, right? It's come a long way, but it's not entirely there. People still need to be involved in it, right? We're really not very far on the the straight through processing of a claim from where it just get the the person gets to FNOL somehow, and then a check shows up or a, a payment shows up. We're not there yet. And so wh where's the bat? I mean, what that must be very interesting. Do you feel, do you want to bring more technology in, but it's, it's hard to do? do I mean, where, how do you balance? We are vetting technology weekly and evaluating how we can implement it in our process. And it needs to fit a couple categories. The first is it has to be able to provide a delightful customer experience. And then the second is it needs to reduce our cycle time. Um, and then the third would be it needs to reduce adjuster administrative burden. And if it can meet those three criteria, then we take it really, really seriously. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you mentioned, you know, the um, the emphasis on insure tech. I don't know, dude. Does the market care about insure tech? Like when you shop for insurance, do you say, I want insurance or I want insure tech? Like, you know, no. I, right? And so, right. right. And now, in fact, outside of our community, I would say the general pop doesn't even think about it, doesn't even know it exists. Doesn't even know it exists. 
Right. And so, you know, I think there are some claims processes that are administered. So I'll give you an example. Uh, glass claims. You know, I'm driving down the road, I get a chip in my windshield. That process probably doesn't need a whole lot of adjuster intervention because of some of the thing, uh, some of the integrations that we have with partners and within our claims process. A lot of things automatically happen, and, and I can't go into a whole lot of detail about that. Um, but things like that takes uh, administrative burden off the adjuster. So now they can spend time working on that big fire loss they had or a really complex injury or things like that. And so we'll continue to do more of that. And, but that's how we think about tech you know, on a move forward basis. Because I agree with you. I think, I think the idea of touchless claims and straight through processing, some of the stuff is cool. I think some of, the, some of it is misguided and, and is not putting the customer first. Is there a uh, technology you're waiting to come along? Is there something that you wish was out there that's not there? I think with homeowners claims, there is a last mile issue between user capturing photos and the estimate getting completed. That that exists on auto claims. There are vendors that do that. So I'm still looking for technology that will assist with that. I think the other one is... And, and it's not that it doesn't exist. It exists, but I'm really excited about where it's going. It's telematics and auto claims. Yeah. You know, but to arm the adjuster with accident data minutes after it happens through a proactive FNOL, it turns that claims, it, it, it shifts the investigation to confirmation. So instead of asking questions about what happened, you're on the phone with the insured to say, hey, it looks like you were traveling. 37 miles an hour down this road. Looks like the accident happened at this intersection. You know, that's that's a great experience and cuts down the time that that adjuster has to work on that claim. I'm really interested to see how that continues to evolve. You know, it's I, I, I had an interesting experience recently. My My wife will kill me if I tell you this, but she backed into our neighbor's car and it was bad enough where it, it needed to be an insurance claim. And um, <clears throat> so we filed a claim. And I wanted to go through the technology, you know, choices so that I could experience it. So I could see what it's like. And I I won't name the carrier, but a major carrier. And, uh, uh, and so they sent me, um, a link. I downloaded the, the, uh, the product. I don't, I don't, wasn't an app in particular. Maybe it was, I don't know how you define that, but, I, it showed me where to stand to take the pictures. I stood, I took the pictures, I sent it in. They said, thank you very much. Cause they also offered for me, I could go to a shop if I wanted to, or I could do it my phone and I wanted to do it on my phone. And I did, they ingested that and they gave me a, an estimate. It didn't take, but maybe a day, maybe. And I started getting all kinds of communication from them that I didn't necessarily want or felt that I needed. And ultimately they, they ended up sending me a check, even though we were, we were at fault, they sent me a check and, and and they said, Hey, we we want to send you a check. Where should we send it? Or something like that. And I, and I reached out to him all by text, by the way, Mm -hmm. uh, with my adjuster and said to the adjuster, um, Hey, you know, I I don't know where I'm going to get it fixed. I'm not, ready to move on this yet. Can you give me a few days? And for those of you who can't see this, I'm here's my check. After I asked them not to send me a check and to give me time. And so I felt like the technology drove the, the process more than being listened to 
it was a little out of balance. That's really interesting. I mean, were, did you provide any feedback throughout the process about, hey, I'd love, I mean, did you want to speak to an adjuster or were you comfortable just communicating via SMS? Do you feel like you were heard? I talked to an adjuster once at the very beginning because they wanted to know some of the details of what occurred. I see. They called me. And, uh, but then from that point in time, the adjuster asked if they could, if I would be interested in text. I said yes. And so the rest was all done by text. Yeah, that's interesting. And so are you going to ask him to be a guest on the podcast? Just to, <laughs> I'm just there sitting time? and thinking and thinking you're mad that you actually got the money. Like you're like, you sent it too quick. You slow down. You don't send me the money that you owe me. I got paid. I mean, I paid a day. I can't believe how bad this still happened. There is no pleasing me. <laughs> there is no pleasing you. I'm sorry that. To quote Dr. Evil, there is no pleasing you. I would say that it's interesting, though. It's all a digital process, but yet you still get a paper check. You know, I was going to ask about that. Did you have the option to get paid no. through any other way? Just I, check. No, I said, please don't, please don't pay me yet. I'm not sure what, and I'd rather you just take care of it with the, that I'm not involved in it. Just, yeah. sit, well, I'll, I'll choose a shop and you'll send it to the shop, which of course they can do. Yeah. And yeah, you're looking. You know, we're, we're doing ACH payments. That's um, what I was going to ask. Yeah. We're, we're doing a lot of electronic payments. Customers prefer them. I mean, you get the funds a lot faster and it's just, mm -hmm. again, it's, that's frictionless, right? And, and there's more payment rails that I'm hearing about being inserted in the process, like paying via Venmo or Zelle or right. someone. I don't know that Carrier is doing this, but I was talking to someone last week who, who mentioned Amazon, uh, which I'm not entirely comfortable with. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves as well. You know, and, and I, I do hear more about Zelle than I do Zen, uh, Venmo. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I've been, we, in fact, we were supposed to have a guest on yesterday. It didn't work out. Uh, they couldn't get past their firewalls. So we'll have them back on, but they're a digital payment platform, and it's yeah. it's really uh, it's really out there. Hey, I, I do want to ask before we go about building a, a claims organization. I see in April that you just expanded into six new states. What does that do to the claim side? Is it a, a big change or is it simple? It's a big change, but it's you know it's uh, again it's a new challenge with every state. We're very fortunate with the staff we have have experience in all 50 states. But, you know, we need to make sure that one, we have appropriate licenses for all these different states. We need to make sure we understand the nuances of handling claims within those states, either from a regulatory perspective or just understanding, like, if we're writing a different coverage in that state. And so, yeah, there's, there's unique challenges there, but, you know, it's all about building that infrastructure of different compliance support and things like that we're doing now. Like you said before, you know, you wanted to have this experience as part of why you took the job. I mean, there's very few people, honestly, who've had the opportunity to build something from the ground up. And when they come, they say, hey, Charlie, next week, these five states. I mean, and if you guys, we, we have Charlie on video today. And if you could see Charlie, there's like no gray hair. Charlie, none. You're look, you're, none. You're looking pretty good. Great job. Um, I'm all crying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Lee, Lee, yeah. Not, having, we won't talk about it. That's why you're not the cute one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. New states all the time, right? 
I'm waiting for you to get to California. I've only told you that 20 times. I'm waiting for you to get to California. How do you ingest all that? I mean, are you looking at, I mean, obviously they don't come to you one day and say, hey, tomorrow's the day. You know it's coming. But is that part of what gets in the way of growing the company is moving into new states? Well, first of all, there's a lot of gray hair. It's maybe just the quality of my camera. Second, um, <laughs> yeah, the, cha- the challenge of moving into new states, you know, again, it, it is such a great team effort internally where we have a, a very strong compliance department within claims, in addition to uh, the compliance team within our product department. And so they, we know when we're rolling into a new state well ahead of when we're going to be going live. And so we're preparing for that. We're building the infrastructure and the support that our claims team will need to understand the, the regulatory issues within each of those states. There are a lot of resources that we have available to us that help us navigate through that, in addition to a very well-tenured team who understand these states and our own internal claims compliance department. Um, and so there's a lot that we have, not only that we're training our adjusters on, but resources at their fingertips. And we're also looking at, you know, I, I talked a lot about automating administrative tasks within uh, the claims process itself. A lot of that has to do with compliance. You know, when you send letters, what types of letters you have to send. Um, we are right now uh, taking on a pretty big body of work to automate a lot of that to ensure we have compliant files when we enter the state, which takes out a lot of that guesswork about, oh man, I just got a new claim in Alabama. What do I need to do here? And I got this claim in Iowa. What do they need? A lot of that stuff can be automated. And that's that's what we're in process of building right now. So I'm in California. Is California particularly challenging? It's particularly challenging with everything else. So I didn't know you were in California. Yeah, just yeah. California is great. We're excited to get into California. But California, um, yeah, it's um, challenging from a regulatory perspective for claims for sure. Tell us, are you an MGA or are you a carrier? What are you? Everything. So we're, we're not an MGA. We are a GA in several states writing on other insurance companies' paper. And that has allowed us to get um, you know, a faster distribution, allowed us to go into a lot of states faster than we ordinarily would have if, it was, if we were just a carrier. But we do have a carrier. Okay. And our plan is we will roll over all that GA business into the carrier at the appropriate time. Has that started? Yes. Okay. So some states are already in it. Correct. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. That's very exciting. We are so pleased and excited to have had you with us today. We don't get to talk to claims people a lot, right? And so that's that's fun for us being claims people ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, well, and I appreciate the conversation, and I'm glad we were able to do this. And thanks so much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. And um, I just want to put in one more plug. Love Columbus, Ohio. What a great town. Columbus is great. Great food, uh, great collegiate uh, football team and other sports. So great place to visit. Come, come see us anytime. Yeah. And by the way, Charlie has a Buckeye lamp. Yes, he does. Behind him that we've been looking at the whole time. Is that a coincidence, Charlie? Uh, not a coincidence. It is my wife's. So I'm not an alum. I went to okay. uh, Cleveland State. She went, she's the Ohio State grad, but uh, I'm happy to use the lamp because I think it looks nice. It's a very nice <laughs> lamp. Very nice lamp. It's a nice lamp. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks, Charlie. You know, there's times where we have to wait a long time to get somebody on. Yeah.
And it usually turns out that that's really worth it. And Charlie is one of those guys. Charlie is worth it. We had to actually reschedule that episode. Totally worth it. And like any, any of like the majority of our interviews, I love the beginning and the end that wasn't recorded. And it was, it was a great podcast just to visit with him. Uh, I was sad that sad that we didn't record everything, but it was, it was great talking to him. Yeah. Um, Branch is a long-term survivor in this yeah. world that we're in now. And uh, um, Charlie's part of the reason for that. Do you think it helped that they started a little bit after the InsureTech wave, like 2019, right? They weren't at the very forefront. It's almost like they were able to take some lessons into their founding. Do you think well, that helped? I think what it comes down to is that it's like, um, uh, you know, Martha Noteris and others have said to us, Caitlin Johnson, who've said that it's about the team. Yeah. The first thing they look at is the team yeah, and the temperament and the knowledge and the passion and the know-how. And I think that branch has an exceptional team. Yeah. Well, um, we sure know Charlie is. And, uh, yeah. And we know Steve is. And, um, yep. so big thanks to Charlie and to the team at branch for making uh, Charlie available. And a big thanks to you for being here today. A big thanks to our production team who's laughing at me while I say this. It is Alicia, at you. I don't know why they're I don't you're laughing about yourself. I I don't know what this is. Alicia Moss and Al Moya, a couple of yo-yos who joined the big yo-yos every single episode and couldn't do it without them. Thank you very much. And but most of all, we couldn't do it or wouldn't do it without you. Nope. I don't know. We might do it without our audience. Sometimes I feel like we do it without them. <laughs> yeah, when our download numbers are three. <laughs> <laughs> no, that hasn't happened in, in, in years. That's never happened. Mm-mm. We're very Mm-mm. fortunate that that Even our has, first one got has more never than occurred. Three. That's right. That's right. The podcast that has six figures behind it, folks. Um. We're very proud to say, and thank you for being with us. And until next time. Goodbye, everybody.